Hi, I'm Kristen Carpenter, the founder and CEO of Verity Brand Communications and the host of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Over the past two decades, Verde served hundreds of amazing brands across the active lifestyle markets. We know how to build and activate communities of rapidly loyal brand fans for our clients because we work every day to help them connect with, serve, and sell to their consumers. And that's what you'll get a master class in every week here on the Channel Mastery Podcast. To reach Jedi status as a channel master, you have to commit to knowing your consumer inside and out. Because today, the consumer is the channel. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. We're glad you're here. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new season of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Carpenter. I'm also the CEO and founder of Verity Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. 2021 marks Verde's 20-year anniversary, which I can't believe. It also marks, come June, the four-year anniversary of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I feel incredibly fortunate to be working with Verde and all of our incredible clients and also to serve you through this podcast. So thank you again so much for being part of our community and welcome if you're new here. So I meant to launch this brand new season back in January of this year. It didn't happen and you probably can relate to why because I know so many of our colleagues and friends in the outdoor recreation and outdoor active lifestyle markets are experiencing the same thing. Business has been running at a breakneck pace. I'm super grateful for that, but it has literally been a pace like I've never seen before. So even without the winter trade shows, the pace was unprecedented for our clients, for our team, and for the interest of the consumer in the active outdoor lifestyle communities and activities that we serve, which is awesome. So even though we're a quarter late in relaunching the season, I actually think it turned out better because we now have a full quarter of business under our belts um, to draw from and to help you and serve you and trends and observations going forward. And also, I think you'd agree that April 2021 has much stronger and more positive consumer sentiment than January 2021. I'm not saying we're anywhere near out of the woods, but I'm saying it is definitely trending up out there. So what is this new season all about and why should you care? Well, it's all about focus over here. And the reason that I wanted to triple down on focus is because I feel like you know, as a former journalist, I love interviewing people and I definitely hope that it brings value and news and everything else when you tune into our podcast. But what we all really need to be tethered to right now is what we've always called the North Star here on the Channel Mastery Podcast, and that is your target consumer or your target shopper. And you come here every single week to discover what's working and what isn't in terms of how to reach, engage, nurture, convert that consumer across the channel they prefer. That's why you come here. And through covid We are all consumers as well, and through COVID, we've all changed, 360-degree change, and we continue to change, okay? So every week, we're going to continue to drill down into the specialty consumer, how their preferences and behaviors are changing, and what's really working today to uh, give them an absolutely kick-ass specialty brand experience. That's what we're going to focus on here. So our most recent consumer behavior report, Verity started to do those in second quarter of 2020, and we continue to do so every other week. So the next one will be published on April 12th, I believe, Monday. Consumer Behavior Report. We shared a very insightful survey from McKinsey that highlighted the behaviors of consumers that will actually carry forward from COVID. I'm only going to share a couple of these with you here because they just set up today's guest perfectly. Consumers intend to keep buying online. That's sort of a duh, but 
I mean, it's a big deal as retail is starting to reopen and what retail's purpose is continues to shift and grow. Despite third and fourth quarters where we saw a drop, overall online penetration among retail categories with generally high online penetration was at 48% in January of 2021. That's 11% above pre-pandemic rates in these categories. Consumers are also going to continue curbside pickup and digital wellness tools and all of the conveniences that were really safety measures, but were conveniences that they discovered and got used to and began to prefer last year in 2020. So convenience along with values. Um, Values alignment is also another key consumer trend. Consumers will continue to prioritize as they choose brands, especially in our markets where they self-identify with brands, they will self-identify with brands that share values with them. Okay. So those are three of, I think, six or seven things that were in the McKinsey report that you can check out at veritypr.com forward slash blog. Every other Monday, we'll have a fresh report for you. And then on the podcast, we'll go deeper into the trends and feature guests to go deeper, which we get to do today. I mean, convenience had to be a primary driver for consumers last year. And now that we're inching closer to being closer to real life or in person again, consumers are going to hold on to those conveniences really tightly because they gave us back something that is absolutely irreplaceable, that we all value and that we all want more of, and that is time. That ties right into one of the most important things I took away, the consumer take, which is going to happen every show in this new season going forward. The consumer take from the interview that you're about to hear today Um, basically it was so obvious. I never saw it really. I mean, I knew it, but I never actually like pieced it together and saw it until my guest today said it. And you'll, you'll get to hear the whole story here on the interview in just a few seconds. But basically he said that the active lifestyle consumer is one of the most patient consumers he's ever seen. And he's worked across a lot of different categories. What did he mean? Well, we as active outdoor lifestyle consumer enthusiasts, or maybe it's health and wellness or pet any of the specialty markets we serve, right? We have such a passion for wanting to belong to these communities and for what, you know, we get to do in our free time thanks to these brands and things we love to do that we are okay with having a really fragmented, high-friction experience. Um, We're okay with that because we love these experiences and, and these brands so much. So that's the opportunity that my guest today sees in everything that he's doing. And you're about to meet Robin Thurston. I'm so excited that Robin agreed to be on the Channel Mastery Podcast and kick off our new season. This is such a good interview. You're going to learn so much. He's so accessible and just really lays it all out there. So Robin is here today to discuss the future of his growing empire that is now called Outside Incorporated. He is the CEO of this new endeavor, and it is a powerful organization that incorporates most of the leading active outdoor lifestyle publications, frankly, uh, trade and consumer. Editorial is only a part of his vision. It's a very important part, but it's only part of it. And in today's show, Robin gives the big vision behind Outside Incorporated. You do not want to miss this. Prior to Outside, Robin ran a consumer genetics company called Helix in Silicon Valley, and he co-founded and built Map My Fitness into one of the world's largest open fitness tracking platforms. So he's a tech business leader. He's also an avid outdoor lifestyle enthusiast himself. Outside Incorporated is really his vision of the future, 
It is a brand experience in and of itself. And I'm so excited to present Robin and his vision with you here today, Channel Masters. So without further ado, here is the Robin Thurston episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am so honored today to introduce Robin Thurston to you today, who is the CEO of Outside. He's going to join us for a very future-paced conversation, and that future is here right now. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, here we are recording um, in mid to late March window, and Robin and his team have just announced a lot of news on the horizon. So I would love to have you just kind of give us the stake in the ground from where you are today, Robin. Tell us what you're doing with Outside. Obviously, we're going to get into the details, but let's start with just like a broad strokes to kind of kick off the conversation. Yeah, so maybe it might be beneficial just to give a little bit of overview of how we got here because it actually has happened relatively fast. You know, we started with, we were able to reacquire the assets from competitor group that were the original endurance assets. So Vela News, Triathlete Magazine, Women's Running, Podium Runner, along with the book business that has about, you know, 150 titles in it, Vela Press. We had started building a technology that helped basically personalize the experience. So think more like Apple News, but for the outdoor active lifestyle category. So we immediately started layering that technology on those brands. Then I met Andy Clerman down the street here in Boulder from me who ran and still runs Active Interest Media. And they were in the process of essentially sort of divesting some of the assets. And so we had the opportunity to, you know, partner with Andy and doing the acquisition around Ski Magazine and Warren Miller Films and Backpacker and Yoga Journal and Climbing Magazine, as well as a number of nutrition brands, which was really part of the core strategy like Clean Eating and Vegetarian Times and Better Nutrition. And so that got done like really just after COVID started. So we sort of finished that in June of last year. There were a number of other pieces as it related to our Series A that we felt were really sort of synergistic with what we were doing. Things like Rock and Ice and Trail Runner and Gym Climber that was part of Big Stone up in Carbondale. And then we bought Paleo Magazine to sort of fit into our nutrition brands. And then sort of the first thing that I still think some people see as content that we acquired was that isn't really just about content was finisher picks. So they service about a thousand events worldwide doing the official photography and obviously selling that back to consumers. And so I would say in a little bit, we were sort of done a little bit with M&A. And then I had met about a year and a half ago with Larry Burke. And I had just sat down and had lunch with him at Santa Fe. My mom lives in Santa Fe. And I said, you know, Larry, if you ever think about, you know, selling outside, I would be honored. Like it would be an amazing, you know, umbrella brand and, and how to bring all this together. And I think at the time he was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, you know, and I do think COVID accelerated some of his thinking, but it basically, we had the opportunity to go after outside and outside TV. And, you know, it just seemed like the absolute right fit with where we were going and what was happening in the outdoor and active lifestyle space in general. And so, that along with Gaia GPS, Athlete Reg, and Peloton Magazine, all were part of our Series B investment that was made. And we brought them all together under one roof at this point. And that was just the most recent news. And now you're known as Outside. Exactly. We changed the brand. We really, we actually, we were in the process of changing the brand. We were not going to call it Pocket Outdoor Media. So we were in the process of doing a rebrand. And when the Outside thing came up, it just was 
you know, sort of like gravitational pull, like must use this brand for everything. <laughs> so it just really timing worked out. And, you know, sometimes serendipity happens. So it was it was a good timing. Oh, and I love the rebrand of Snooze. We have reverence oh. for the people who, who lead over there and all of their staffers. What a fantastic, proud new name. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we're really excited, excited to, to. And we have some other, you know, I just say rebranding across the portfolio that we will continue to leverage the outside brand in a whole number of ways, probably through our events group and some other areas. So we're really excited about the brand and just, you know, the sort of gravitas that the brand brings in the market. So, you know, I think it just really is for us and was the absolute sort of perfect situation. Well, okay, so I'm going to level set here with you. So, you know, the before world where publications, events, um, devices, and connectivity and community were all separate, fragmented, standalone. I was on your Zoom call about a week and a half ago where you kind of gave a little bit of a state of the union. And I, I really appreciated that transparency. But I want to just share a quick quote from there. I was scribbling furiously <laughs> all the time you were talking. But you said there's an incredible amount of dormant data spread over a vast landscape that really is very disconnected and fragmented. The gap we want outside to build an ecosystem through basically leveraging the outside brand and the partnerships we have can build a complete compiled view of the customer and the experience you want to provide that creates actionability for the customer. So this is a really great vision. It's like a holistic picture of this consumer around content, gear, tracking data, training, testing nutrition experiences, weather. I even heard you say insurance. And I was thinking like, it almost sounds a little bit kind of a nod to like Outside Magazine two Augusts ago when they talked about, you know, Amazon. And this feels to me, it's not Amazon like an everything store, but the consumer is already experiencing this in many different facets of their life. And that sounds like what you're trying to pull together. And I wanted to just let you speak to that and then also talk about how you plan to keep that specialty because everybody always associates Amazon with commodity. And that is yeah. so not, that's the opposite of what I think you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I do think the the model is an analogy that I have used frequently because I do think there's so much opportunity to personalize the experience and really create a greater level of service for the consumer. The, the one thing that's so fascinating about the active lifestyle category now, having been in it for a very long time, is that, you know, because we love it, because we love skiing and love yoga and love, you know, backpacking and cycling, we'll put up with an amazing amount of friction to yes. get what we want, right? <laughs> like we will, you know, we will search for the events and we will, you know, go to the endless degree to find the right gear for what we're trying to do. We will, you know, there's just all these friction points that, you know, I don't think the consumer realizes that there's so much friction. And the analogy with Amazon is less about, you know, the specific pieces. And it's more that while it is commodity, it has simply created an experience for the consumer that is far more seamless for them, right? To, you know, be able to get the things that they want directly to their doorstep, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, so I think from my perspective, the opportunity, and I don't think the customer is fully aware of it. And I certainly don't think all of the businesses and the brands are fully aware of it. But I believe that there is a state for the customer where there's a lot less friction. It's just a lot easier to do the things you love, to get the gear you need, to you know get and read the content and get inspired by it, 
So I think our vision very much is while a lot of people might look at it and go, oh, well, you know, Robin's just aggregating a bunch of assets and, you know, that's like a private equity play or something like that. That's not what it's about. Every decision and every business that we've decided to bring into the company essentially is about thinking about a more holistic experience for the consumer. Right. And that is accomplished on a lot of different levels. And we're going to get into content and data and all sorts of layers here. But I wanted to just, you know, obviously this podcast was created for people in these markets, business leaders who are trying to understand where their target consumer is discovering or engaging with them or where to nurture them or how to convert them. Like, And this keeps changing. Through COVID, it changed precipitously. So much of this is based around trust. And as we saw, like, Amazon had to kind of chug along, chug along, and then it hit like that flywheel where that trust was established. Outside as a brand name brings that. But what are some of the other things that you're really focusing on to like really hit out of the gate to build that trust with the consumer? Well, I think, you know, depending on how you you sort of go about this, like the content is a good example. Like our first goal is not to deteriorate the authenticity or credibility of any one of the publications, right? So we are changing the model a little bit, but ultimately it's about, you know, delivering the best storytelling, the best, you know, video, the best podcast experience for that consumer, because that is, you know, I there's a saying that Kevin Plank, my old boss used to give me at Under Armour, which is that, you know, trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. And I really believe that. Like I, the first time he ever said it, I was like, you know, that's so true. Like, you know, people don't, they really do have to build that over time. And I think now that we're like a new company, we have to get the consumer to believe that we're not going to destroy what it is they came to love, right? And I think there's a lot of examples in the market about, you know, situations where publications got destroyed by companies you know, went out of business, you know, especially in the active lifestyle category, maybe weren't important enough in the portfolio and therefore didn't get the attention. And so the writing faded or, you know, the types of services they were providing faded. So I think in content, it's really about not only delivering the great product that many of these publications were, but actually even stepping up our game and doing it better, you know, and that might be more mediums that might be supplying you the customer, if you love the magazine, how do we supply that to you in audio in a way that you can easily listen to it? Or it could be increasing the size of certain teams where we know that there's, you know, a real affinity to the type of content that's being created. And then, you know, I think in the other verticals, areas like the event services business with finisher picks and athlete reg, again, I think our biggest you know, sort of goal or challenge is simply not to destroy the experience for the consumer and make it better. You know, in previous companies I've worked for, we always talk about like, try not to take things away from customers they love and try to build more things that they do. That That's actually a very good North Star. And I love that Kevin Plank quote. He's, a, that is a great quote. So um, around trust. So I guess one of my questions here is bringing the brands into this content ecosystem. I know you've studied left, right, and center. Where is outdoor journalism today or endurance journalism or health and wellness journalism? These journalistic entities have been very challenged. And some of them have, I think, blended the line with pay for play, et cetera. That's not lost in the consumer. So it's actually awesome to hear that you're planning on investing in that. How do you plan on kind of segmenting that 
here's great content for you. Here is the membership version of that. And we're going to get more into membership, but like that, I think is an important thing to put out there because you're obviously going to be investing in the quality of content. Well, both tiers benefit from that. Yeah. So I sort of use this analogy as one thing that, you know, when I was sort of studying the, you know, I guess I'd say the print magazine business before even acquiring the endurance brands. One thing that I felt like it happened being a, you know, really what I call a lifelong reader. I mean, I think I've had a Bella News subscription since the mid 80s or something like that, you know. And I think what happened, and I do, I do think there's a big challenge, and I could talk at nauseum about the, the social networks and their role that they've played in this sort of, you know, very challenging situation that many of the vertical publications and also all news publications have been put into. But one of the things that I saw, which we have essentially reversed or changed, is that, you know, for a long time, obviously, magazines made a lot of money. You could get, you know, $5,000, $10,000 for a full-page ad, you know, and publications were full of ads and selling through, you know. And so what I saw was that what has happened, though, is that back when magazines and the advertising in magazines was supporting these organizations, the entire focus was on, like, we have to deliver this magazine on this day. And the reality was that was the right focus because there was enough ad dollars and consumers were willing to pay for those magazines, right? But what happened over time as digital became more important is that a lot of that content that was sitting in the magazine essentially got put on the web for free because the magazines didn't have the resources to hire digital editors only or staff up those departments. And so they were sort of forced into this situation of using that same content, you know, maybe a week or maybe two weeks after the magazine came out to, you know, basically have enough content for the web. And I just think this was a really big mistake because as ad dollars went down, especially in both digital and print, this put the publishers in a really tough situation. So what we did right when we acquired, it will be, I would say by the end of 2021, we'll be complete in this cycle. But the first thing that we wanted to do was basically say, the magazines are still important. We, I love magazines. I love to get them. I love to pick them up. I love to look at the pictures. I don't know that we need to have the same frequency that we've had historically based on the number of advertisers there are for those you know, specifically. But what that means is that we can rotate some of our resource if we go to like six times a year or four times a year that we have with many publications, higher quality, so better paper, better photography, you know, much richer in terms of the, you know, the number of pages created around content, less advertising, actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, that those become really sort of, you know, pillars in the ground for four times a year. And then what we do is we have a big focus on digital, but here's the change. The change is that one is we're no longer selling standalone print magazines. You cannot buy Backpacker or Bellow News as a standalone print magazine anymore. What we do now is we bundle those into what's called a vertical pass. So you can buy a Bellow News pass that has the magazine plus access to about 30 to 40% of all content is digital, is premium, is membership only, right? Okay. And so what that's done is it immediately tells the consumer who's willing to pay for the magazine, which, by the way, are very important customers to us because they have pulled out their wallet and said, I'm willing to pay you money for this magazine. What it's done for the consumer is said, all of that content is always going to be something that's premium. We're never going to put any of the content that's in the magazines free 
for everyone to read unless there was a very specific reason to do it. So we kind of changed that model last year and we're in the process of doing that across all of the publications. But so if you think about the ratios and it will allow us to do two things. So the one thing that's great about if you create a membership base that's big enough, take the New York Times, take the Washington Post, whatever, is that your editorial departments are much more stable because you're not waning around to see whether or not the ad dollars flow through and then deciding to cut staff or increase. We wanna build our membership base to the size where we can service both free content and paid content, but off of the membership base. And then advertising is really on top of that. So it's like, we're not subject to firing and hiring people based on how advertising is doing. We're gonna basically build our essentially OpEx model around do we have a sustainable model from a membership perspective and give those customers what they believe they're paying for, which they were before. They were paying for it in a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. But now you're just saying there's more content online that's premium, 30 to 40% of all content. Members are getting both the magazine and the digital access. And then we're able to support the growth of additional free content because we now have a stable base of revenue that's direct to consumer memberships. So everybody wins in this model, including advertisers and brands, in my opinion, because even if we are, you know, there are other models in the system. Our model is not to make everything paid. Like we're not the athletic. We're trying to build a model that allows people to experience the outdoors and endurance and food and fitness in a way that they essentially can access and then decide if they want the most premium content on the platform. But what I would call the free content has also been elevated. So they win in that model and the consumer that's willing to pay also wins because they have access. Now, if we're wildly successful, about 10% of our audience will pay for a membership, right? And that will be, I mean, again, easily support all of the content, free and paid, right? From an editorial perspective, as well as freelancers, et cetera. And so I just view this as a much, much better sustainable model that's gonna improve quality and ultimately, the consumer is going to win. I yeah, and I think we're all ready for the change. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we sure. yeah, and we've seen consolidation happen. Whether it's Lola, I wouldn't call what GCN's doing as consolidation, but they're definitely doing an interesting play globally. And looking at it from just the cycling lens, you know, we became really, really excited about content through COVID, even more than we were before. Not having the event or the, you know, the races happening made that even more like we're watching reruns of things, et cetera. And that's like right when you like introduced, you know, the Velo News pass. So I think being able to check four sites every night and seeing exactly the same news. Obviously, you want something deeper than that, right? (laughs) So I feel like it's a natural progression. Yeah. And I think that the reason... Well, I mean, I, I would argue the deterioration in journalism in general, having you know spent a large part of my career at Reuters, um, has a lot to do with um, one, you know, sort of like what I'd say the focus on page views and headlines versus you know really in depth stuff. And frankly, one of the reasons I was so excited about you know the outside team becoming part of what is now the new outside is that you know the long form features is in my mind where a lot of value is added, you know, 
And so, you know, we're excited about them being able to teach the rest of the staff more, having the rest of the, you know, editorial teams have access and understand how they think about feature stories and the content, frankly, that's adding a lot more depth and research to, you know, the platform. And frankly, the models like the New York Times and Washington Post that are, you know, now at this point, more subscription revenue than they are ad revenue they have been able to invest in these departments, things like deep research teams, you know, much longer story forms, uh, more podcasts, you know. And so my view is it's not different in the active lifestyle space. It's just no one had done it yet. And Robin, you know, as well as I do, things go super slowly in these markets until one day, one day they don't. And that day yeah. happened about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> And I guess one thing I want to, because we're talking about, you know, specialty in these passion industries, let's talk about the topic of commerce a little bit more in depth. I'd love to hear from you how you plan to build commerce and give people the opportunity to drive from their devices into even a physical store. And I think one thing you could uh, speak to on that front is maybe the bike exchange model. Yep. You know, I I would say that there's and I'm trying to think about how to piece this together. But basically, like, even in previous companies like Matt My Fitness, you know, I think I was always trying to think about how do we just drive more activity? Therefore, if you drive more activity, then, you know, there are sort of natural occurrences out of that. Like, if you get more people doing events, they're going to buy more gear. If you, you know, get more people active, they're going to need more tires, they're going to need more running shoes, they're going to need more, you know, backpacks, etc. And so, you know, I do think there's this sort of underlying premise, which is our ultimate goal is to, you know, get people more active. Like I honestly almost could care less about the page views and the, you know, impressions of people visiting the site and things of that nature. I'm much more worried about, are we moving the needle on more people being active? And then from that, you say, okay, if you think you are starting to achieve that and inspiring people to do more activity, where do they go to buy and and register and do all the things that they want to do in this category specifically, right? And, you know, so I think there's a whole number of, you know, venues for people to be thinking about that stuff. And local stores are, in my mind, really important frankly, in some ways, becoming more important for technical reasons. And I can talk about that a little bit. But, you know, I just think there's, at least from my perspective, no matter what we decide to do in commerce, whether it's, you know, we have some affiliate programs, we, you know, work with a variety of brands to create reviews for them, you know, but the bike exchange example, which I think is a good one, is when the customer is almost what I call at the point of acquisition, they're thinking about that piece of gear or that bike. How do you make sure that you're reducing friction for that consumer to buy that product? And in many cases, that's going to a local bike shop, right? Or a running store. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we looked at the partnership that we have with Bike Exchange, we thought, okay, here's a tool where somebody can go search for product. And then that sends them essentially directly to a local store first, or at least creates a lead gen for that store to fulfill on it, right? And I just think that the industry overall needs more of that. I think that we need to find ways when people are literally at that intersection of like, let's say you just read an article that's like the top 10 bicycles, and you're like, I'm ready to pull the trigger on my next, you know, track or specialized or whatever it is that we can channel that person and get them there as quickly as possible. Because the alternative 
as you know, with like share of wallet and all of these things is that the other decision they could make is buying a video game console. And we don't want them to do that. Right. right? We want to get them in that moment as quickly as possible to pull the trigger on. I'm going to go buy a new piece of equipment and then I'm going to go do more of the things, you know, whether it's hiking, whether it's camping, whatever it is, you know, a bike race, an event, whatever it might be, and get them doing that right after they've acquired that new gear. And let's talk about that, the newcomer from COVID, because I think your timing is amazing in terms of this vision and portal, maybe portals that you're creating. How are you planning on helping to catch and collect these newcomers through this platform? Because I feel like you're just so perfectly positioned for that. Obviously, we talk a lot on Channel Mastery about not trying to be remarkable to everyone because then you're remarkable to no one. Have you put like maybe some vision together around how you plan on kind of bringing them into the audience and making sure that you're nurturing them in a way that feels authentic to them and non-intimidating? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it just goes back a little bit to resources historically with a lot of these publications as an example. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's, there's always, you're going to see an article here about how to change your tire, or you're going to see an article there about you know, which backpack, if you're a new person to backpacking, which one should you choose? You know, you're going to see things at skill levels, like this pair of skis for a beginner, this, all of that stuff has been built in the ecosystem. What wasn't there is what, and a strategy that we are, you know, basically building right now and releasing is there was never like a hub of what I would call like cycling 101, everything you need to know. Like, It's not only going to help you pick the bike, it's going to help you pick the accessories, it's going to help you change the tire, it's going to tell you where the group rides are. So one of our goals, especially for, you know, the newcomers to these categories, and there are many of them, is about creating these essentially one-on-one hubs and making those be a place where, you know, a lot of, you know, again, going back to your resource point, like a lot of the retailers or a lot of the brands don't have the resources to create these types of hubs. So we hope that brands and retailers will use these hubs as a way to educate people and you know tell them that's how they should get this information. So we're literally in the process right now of creating hubs around cycling, running, backpacking, climbing, you know, skiing, all to sort of sit on these properties. And I think you're just going to see a lot more of this of us because I don't think this trend of newcomers to the sport is going to change anytime soon. I totally agree with you. And it's heartening to hear this. And I definitely want as many people as possible to be aware of this and share this. I mean, obviously, we do see some versions of this here and there. But I feel like what you're going to be doing with the teams that you're deploying are really the best in class for North America. And we don't need to get into international. That might be a different podcast. But um, let's quickly touch on one thing before I jump into some event questions I have. You really have put a huge focal point with Outside on cycling, referencing Beta, your mountain bike publication that you just launched, which I'm so excited about. So can you talk a little bit about why you see them as like almost a center point, it seems, the cyclist? Well, I mean, look, I have a little bit of like my whole history is on cycling. So uh-huh. <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little bit of emphasis there. But I think whether you're talking about, I mean, look, we, we certainly have some amazing assets in the cycling category and we, you know, we want to do more on indoor and, you know, what's happening around Zwift and Peloton and, you know, all of these things, because I think those are great channels for new people that will buy bikes, you know, will come into the sport, you know, so there's mountain biking, which we, you know, at the original pocket outdoor had never really covered, you know, at least not in great detail. 
there's, you know, certainly what's happening in the e-bike space, which, you know, when we acquired Peloton, they have a publication called Around, which is all e-bikes, right? You know, there's a lot happening in women's cycling that, you know, frankly, and I mean, Betsy was, I think, our first female editor on, you know, Velo News, as an example. Yep. You know, that might not be true. There might have been one. I'd have to come back to that. But anyway, point being is that, you know, there's a lot to cover in cycling. I guess that's my point. Between gravel, mountain, road, you know, just indoor e-bikes, there's so much to cover. And it is such a big population of where the world's headed in terms of like entry into activity. And I'm a huge supporter of e-bikes. I know some people in these categories are not, but I just think it's a great entry point. And I've seen new people come into the sport because they were able to get an e-bike. And it doesn't mean they're not a cyclist because they have an e-bike, right? Um, I agree with you. Yeah. And so, you know, I just cycling certainly is a big part of the paradigm. You know, one of the there were two reasons why beta made so much sense for us. The first was that, you know, American media shut down, you know, bike and powder and and those publications. And we just thought it was a huge opportunity to work with Nicole and the team there and bring them in. And so it just seemed like almost a perfect situation where you get a team that already had a lot of sort of cohesiveness and, you know, experience working together. And so they're just, I mean, frankly, beta is just an amazing product because their hearts and their passion is in it, you know, every day, you know, but when the way that we determined to launch beta was that we did a survey to over 30,000 people on the platform and 25% of them said they were either thinking about getting into mountain biking or were currently mountain biking out of our 70 million population, it was a huge, huge, you know, essentially statistical analysis on saying, we got a lot of people interested in mountain biking and we don't have anything to offer them, right? So it just was a really, and and we'll look at other categories that way. People have asked me, well, Robin, what other categories are you going to get into? And I'm like, well, we're going to use the data and we're going to really understand what the customer wants as this sort of cross-section of, you know, the average customer in our system does at least three activities in a year and as many as 12 to 15 activities over a lifetime, right? So we need to think about the ebbs and flows of those individuals and how we can create high quality, you know, content and services for them across the whole platform. That's fantastic. And think about the self-identification, all the, you know, different ways you identify with those passions that you have. And on that note, let's talk a little bit about connectivity, because I think that touches all of your Um, categories, if you will. I would love to hear what your vision is around that or your take on that, because I feel like it strings together a big part of the active lifestyle experience from the newcomer to the super nerd, which I would include myself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's it's such a big part of what's happened. I mean, you know, having built a company in the space and watching the growth of connectivity and data and, you know, really how People, you know, humans love to measure things. Like it's just, it's in our, like, I think I saw you had an aura ring on. I'm normally wearing mine. You know, like it's, we love to measure things. And so, you know, I always joke that even back when I was racing in the late eighties, like we documented everything. It was just in journals and it was very hard to access. It's like, I had to flip back through pages to be like, what happened on that day? You know, and so I just feel all of this is like not necessarily the way that I view connectivity is that it's not necessarily new. What it is, is that it's less expensive because of things like free apps, right? And wearables that are pretty inexpensive. I mean, I say pretty inexpensive for most demographics. Mm -hmm. And you've just basically broadened 
the number of people that are tracking. I mean, at this point in the U.S., a stat that I have from my previous days at Under Armour is that 80% of all workouts, yoga, you know, running, cycling are being tracked at this point. I mean, that's just an enormous amount of data. So things like Matt, My Fitness and Strava are amazing training logs, but not necessarily has the next great product been built on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we're interested in doing is how do we leverage that data? How do we leverage that connectivity into a situation where we're creating the next great products on top of that information? I'm really excited to follow how you do that because it's also a point of connectivity and sharing with others in the community who share your passion. And I just think that's such a driver. So it's going to be really exciting to see. So I want to really respect your time. You've been so generous. Let's conclude by talking about your vision of ActivePass because I understand that it's not just merely a membership site. It is truly like the centerpiece of the whole ecosystem that the outside family is building. So I'd love to just maybe have that be your final just presentation here. And I'd just love to have you back on the show, maybe in three or six months to kind of see how things are going. (laughs) You know, I think, again, I go back to that, you know, the model or the world has changed. And I think that most consumers, and frankly, I wouldn't say this is like something we created, like, the situation is that, you know, a lot of the platforms like Google and Facebook and Instagram have, you know, fundamentally changed as they've sort of, you know, almost like created a vacuum for all the ad dollars to go to them versus, you know, the traditional publisher. The traditional publisher had to sort of like iterate and change in order to, you know, really invest in the storytelling and services and all of events, all of these areas. And so, you know, I would say that it's been somewhat a natural progression in the market that maybe in these categories, because there wasn't a lot of tech investment, they kind of tried to stick to the old model too long. Like, we're just going to see if we can get ad dollars to work one more year. We're going yeah. to make it work, right? And so I think that when you, my hope at least is that as membership, which includes, will include, and already does, you know, today we have 30 to 40% of all the contents premium, the magazines are included in the membership. The book library is included in the membership. Perks from partners are in there. Access to events is in there. Soon, outside TV will be, you know, parts of their content will be member only, will be included in it. We'll continue to bring services in from, you know, whether it's free event photography or, you know, discounts on events or early access to events via registration. We'll continue to bring all of this stuff together to create, and the benefit to the customer is that normally all of that stuff might cost them hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to gain access to. And we're going to be able to do it because we're doing it at scale for basically 99 bucks a year for the customer, right? And so my view is not only is the customer who is willing to pay, who might have historically subscribed to two or three of our magazines or gone to one of our events or you know bought event photography, not only is it bringing more value to the people that were willing to pay, but it's also reducing the barrier of cost to the person who could not afford to do all those things before, right? Because it's at a, you know, again, sub $100 price point. And so I got this question the other day about like, well, obviously the target audience today, and we want to diversify it, and we really want to help diversity in the industry, is been in some ways left out of the most premium parts of the industry. And our view is that by bringing scale to it, we actually can allow a lot more people to access it. And frankly, that's what ActivePass is all about. That is 
an awesome vision. It truly is. And I totally agree with you. Like now is the time for us to open the portal and make it more accessible. And as you were saying before around, you know, not everybody can afford some of the devices. They all have phones. <laughs> and they all, all of them. yes and they all want to belong because it's in our dna we want to just belong to a brand these days and frankly you're making it go well beyond brand to experience and community so i just really have to tell you like i can't wait to see where you and the team take this i feel absolutely honored that you were able to be here with us today and I'm really hoping that you'll be able to make the time to come back in maybe three or six months, as I said, because there's so much changing here and you're the driver of that with your team. So hats off to you. And thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings Thanks for listening and see you next week.